Crack fans, as always, I'm your host, Dalton Thienemann. For all of our tourney coverage, go check out the website, CrackedRackets.com, and add that on the favorites on your website browser on your phone. Uh, Matt Stowiak and Ryan Cardiff are continuing to keep you up to date on the college tennis scene. We just last week released J.C. Aragone's pod, and that was an entertaining one, to say the least, especially with the story of him letting a ball girl play an actual point, <laughs> which is too good. Um, and Parsa's got the most fire interviews on lock for you guys. Uh, one quick plug, go follow our Twitter and Instagram pages. The handle is Cracked Rackets. And if you haven't already, go subscribe, rate, and review the Great Shot podcast. Alex Gruskin, Max Rothman, and Max Fliegner have new episodes with that banterous back-and-forth style you love every week. So be sure to check that out. On this edition of the Cracked Interviews, world number 124, Tim Smeecek joins the podcast to discuss his great finish to the 2017 season, including winning the Charlottesville and Champagne Challengers. The exciting news that he, he and his wife, Anna, are expecting their first child later this summer. What it takes to qualify for the ATP Player Pension Program. Rafael Nadal's gift to him. Uh, fishing with former doubles partner Ryan Williams. The best and worst American golfers on the ATP Tour. And life after tennis. But before we get to Tim, let's hear from our sponsor. Max, we know all tennis fans love the thrill of a Grand Slam event. You know, there's something to those huge crowds going crazy for their favorite players. But there's something to be said about the intimacy of a small crowd. You know, what comes to mind for me is college tennis or the challenger levels where the crowd may not be as big, but, you know, everyone's rooting together. You feel very involved with your fellow crowd members. And I'm just wondering, are there events where ATP players are playing in a much more intimate atmosphere? Alex, you couldn't have asked a better question because there is. This August 19th through 22nd, we've got the Stowe Mountain Lodge Classic hosted at beautiful Vermont's Green Mountains, Spruce Peak Stadium. Let me tell you, Alex, this place is gorgeous. You know, I think you sent me the website for this and it really is gorgeous. It's in like a valley like with beautiful mountains and trees surrounding it. Oh, absolutely. The stadium court is one to impress. And let me tell you, there's some great names that have come to this tournament in the past. Last year, naming a few. We had Jared Donaldson, young gun Francis Tiafo, who's been on a run this year. Maybe he drives his Porsche from the Delray title to this event. I'm just wondering, would I have a chance to see it? Well, that would be a sight to see. And you might because there's a players party before the tournament starts that Saturday night the fans will have a chance to interact with all of the players before the tournament starts you've made a solid case Maxi. and like you mentioned this event starts August 19th ends August 22nd it sounds like the event for tennis fans it really doesn't get much better than this where can I go get my tickets 
www.stowtennis.com. One more time, please. I have hard of hearing. That's a www.stowetennis.com www.stowtennis.com That's it, Alex. So www.stowtennis.com Let me hear it one more time. www.stowtennis.com Get your tickets today, and we'll see you in August. Dots are also periods. Hey, Tim. First and foremost, welcome on the Cracked Interviews pod. Tonight, uh, we're also joined by my co-host and host of the Great Shot podcast, Alex Gruskin. Pleasure to meet you, Tim. Or, I don't know, you're 30 now, so it might be Mr. Smeechek. <laughs> don't, don't say that. We're excited uh, to have you on. Typically, we start with the progression of you know junior college decision and then your pro experience. So we'll get going here. Um, and we always love to have a representative from the Midwest on. And you were born in Milwaukee, right? That's right. That's right. I was born in Milwaukee. My folks still live there and uh, get back there whenever I can, although it, it doesn't happen as much these days. <laughs> Any Midwest clothes in your past? Plenty of them. Um, back in uh, East Lansing when I was younger and then uh, Indianapolis later years shameless plug for my own tennis game not you know even though this should be about you but i I made a couple midwest clothes back in the day myself so you know being a young player from a cold weather state how did that affect your training as a junior um well you know uh when i was young um kind of the time that we could get courts was uh real early in the morning so my my brother and i used to always um, you know, either take a lesson or um, or practice with each other uh, before school at you know five o'clock, so we could get a couple hours and then. But um, you know, I've always been a morning person, so that wasn't such a big deal. Yeah, like you said, um, at least half the year uh, indoors, and so kind of um, you know the idea was to make the most of the court time because it was uh, kind of limited. Did you spend any time, you know, in Florida with the USTA anywhere, just making sure you could get outdoor, uh, a good outdoor training block? Um, well, I, I started to do that a little more later on when I was, you know, 15, 16, 17. You know, as soon as my brother uh, went to college, you know, I, I had uh, fewer people to practice with. And so um, that was probably one of the reasons that I started to uh, go to some more USDA camps. Was your family a big tennis family or how did you originally get into the sport? My mom uh, played a little bit of tennis in, in high school and whatnot. So uh, it, it was just, um, you know, my, my brother started taking lessons when he was young and I just kind of followed him around and, and we uh, fell in love with it. You know, moving forward to, you know, you turned pro in 2006 uh, you know, you're, I think, nine, 18 or 19 at the time. Obviously, you were a top 20 world junior player. Uh, I'm sure you had your selection of colleges available to you. What made you, you know, head towards the decision to turn pro as opposed to going to college? Yeah, well, kind of at the time, I was I was looking at a few schools. I was looking at Illinois, Duke, and Florida. But, uh, you know, I actually had a, a couple of good results and some uh, futures and challengers uh, right around that time and kind of what it came down to was uh, 
you know, right around then, there hadn't been that many um, players that uh, went to college and then did did well in the pros after that. There was kind of a lull with most good pros had had turned uh, or had not gone to college. And so, uh, what it came down to is, you know, having a discussion with my parents and. And we just decided that, you know, I could, there, there was kind of a, a limited time horizon for me to play professional tennis and, and, uh, you know, hopefully I'd go back to school one day, but yeah, I just wanted to, uh, kind of get after it. You know, you mentioned there not being many successful pros at that time who had gone from the college path. So even when considering your colleges was the end goal always I want to play professional tennis and, you know, I want to be put in the best possible position to succeed right away. Yeah. kind of when I turned 15 or 16 or something, and I, I started to realize that tennis was a, a viable career option for me, I guess, um, you know, from, from then on, I, I, you know, was really excited to, to just play, play professionally. And so, um, yeah, and and it and it turns out, you know, it turns out I was I was dead wrong about there not, uh, you know, being you know any good folks yeah. that went to school. You know, right right after <laughs> yeah. I made that decision, there were there were uh, quite a few uh, really good players that that came out. But you know, I didn't have the benefit of of knowing that. And and like I said, there there had been a, a few dry years for for uh, college tennis in terms of uh, transitioning to the pros. Oh, you, you might want to avoid Steve Johnson and, you know, Isner and Anderson and those guys in the hallways. They're going to hear exactly. you say, yeah, what are you thinking? You're bagging. No, I mean, no, of course. Of course. <laughs> but I think, you know, I, I think those guys also might not have necessarily, uh, you know, before they went to school, I'm not so sure that they all too intent on playing professional tennis afterwards. I don't know. I, I you know, I should speak for them, but um yeah, I've heard John say before when he went to college, he he wasn't really thinking about being a professional tennis player afterwards. So, um, you know, it turns out they had some great coaches and were in really good programs. But, um, you know, I didn't have the benefit of, uh, <laughs> of uh, hindsight, I guess. And so, you know, you make the decision to forego college. Like you said, at that time, there weren't many college players that had proven to be successful on the pro tour. Kind of shed some light on those first few months and first few years on the pro tour. Who were you surrounded by? Who were you traveling with? And just kind of give our audience some insight as sure. to how that experience well, it, was. It, it, it turns out, you know, I, it, it would have been better for me to go to school for sure, just because my my first two years or three years on tour, I was I was hurt most of the time, anyways. You know, so I, was, I didn't end up playing a whole lot, anyways. So it was. Uh, it was pretty tough. My first couple of years, I, I did a lot of losing and, um, you know, it was not, not <laughs> used not to that. <laughs> that, that yeah. Yeah, well, that's kind of one of the things that, um, that, you know, these, these juniors and, and even guys coming out of school, uh, now just, uh, it's a, it's a bit of a shock because, you know, unless you're like a Sasha Zverev or something like that, you, you just generally don't, don't win as much as you're used to um, coming out on tour. So that was tough uh, for me. And it was, you know, it was, it was pretty discouraging, but um, you know, I had a little breakthrough a, a couple of years down the road, but as far as who I was surrounded by, um, you know, a couple, some, some guys that I'm still uh, real close with, you know, I was, 
um, spending a lot of time with like Alex Kuznetsov and like I said, Scott Audzema, uh, like, uh, Brendan Evans and Phil Simmons, just all the guys that I came up through juniors with and, and, uh, who all, um, kind of turned pro at the same time. And, and, uh, they were, they were my, uh, you know, my peers out on the, <laughs> on the futures tour. Well, you know, you say you didn't have a lot of success, but your ITF tennis results page suggests otherwise early on. And, you know, I have a theory that tennis players, because it's an individual sport, you know, you're playing head to head against your opponent and you're, you know, vision, you know, you see him the entire match that we can remember our big matches and our big opponents. So I want to take us back to Orange Park, Florida, May 9th through May 14th, 2006. This is the USA F10 Futures. You know, we have a young thinking about maybe going to Florida, maybe Illinois and staying home in the Midwest, Tim Smeacek, <laughs> up on the Futures Tour. And I'm going to ask you, do you remember who you beat in the semifinal? Yeah, I think I do. Uh, <laughs> Go for it. Was it David Navaretti? Oh, look at this. I love it. And can you yeah. remember the score? No, absolutely not. But you know, everybody everybody remembers their their first uh, you know first futures win. Uh, <laughs> what I wouldn't know. Next week. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> that's funny. Do you remember who you beat in the final? I do, Nikita Kravonos. Oh, I love it. And oh, it's a yeah. three set three set thriller. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and so you know. You say, you know, maybe the future, because it's that first title, it's so sweet and you remember it. But talk us through the grind of, you know, you're you're a top junior and you get to play at places like, you know, Roland Garros, Wimbledon, the U.S. Open. And the next week's here in Orange Park and Yuba City and Rockland, California. How is does that transition wear on you as just a young person in the world? It's humbling for sure. You know, (laughs) I thought I was going to turn pro after juniors and wake up one day and be, you know, 50 in the world and and, uh, making a good living. Um, It was a bit of a shock to, uh, you know, go to places like you said, McAllen and Harlingen and and those types of places. And and it's just, you know, it it is kind of discouraging. And, you know, on top of all that, you're not you're not really making any money. And so, (laughs) like, I know that. For the first, uh, gosh, probably the first three years of my career, I, I, you know, lost money every year. And thankfully, I had um, parents who were really, who were willing to subsidize my tennis. But, um, you know, that kind of took a toll on me uh, mentally as well. I just, even if you if you have a good week, you're uh, barely breaking even. So, I, I was, um, you know, fortunate to get through that that part of my career. And, you know, I have I have some friends who didn't, you know, who, who hung it up, uh, you know, bef- before they got through that sort of thing. So, um, you know, that that part's tough. You know, you just you bring up the grind of the Futures Tour and, you know, that's not a sexy topic to talk about. But, you know, for people who follow the game closely and, you know, to our fans, if you don't, these events, you know, you're playing in front of maybe five people as a crowd. And it's really not, you know, pro sports as you imagine it growing up as a kid. You know, like you mentioned, you're not playing at the U.S. Open right away. So, you know, how important is it to have your fellow Americans on tour with you, you know, going through that experience? You mentioned you didn't have too many peers, but, you know, there's a generation younger than you, the Johnsons, the Kudlas, the Isners, uh, Isners, you know, right around your age. You know, what's it like going through that experience with them? 
ultimately the the goal is to just get in and get out of there as soon as possible so, um, <laughs> i really know, appreciate your sorry i yeah. really appreciate how honest you're being this is no and this is the it, things we don't see sure and and i don't i don't think um you know anybody that's on the futures tour right now would tell you any, any different like you said you know you're not playing in front of a lot of people and and um you know there are some guys uh, who've been on the futures tour for for a long time and and it's easy to develop you know bad bad habits whether it's practicing or or um you know getting in the gym or whatever you just you don't you don't see too many guys out there um on a on a wednesday afternoon after the matches are finished uh you know hitting a couple extra balls but you know you go, you go to a tour event and and um you know you do guys are guys are putting in the work and and um you know being being a lot more professional so you, like i said you know you, you you try and get in and get out of there and and um it's a building block you know you just gotta go through that portion of your career and and uh, hopefully get on to the next one we do want to fast forward cause, because obviously you've had a, a long career on the tour and so you know you have a lot of tennis events we could ask you about uh the last one i want to ask you about from back in the day so this is the winnetka challenger this is an event you didn't actually you know in 2006 sorry i should give you the date uh-huh. um and okay. this is an event you didn't actually make the main draw but in your okay. first round of qualifying you had a with you your opponent withdrew and this opponent is now a important person in your tennis career do you remember sure. that opponent i i do and, and it's a funny story he had it was billy heiser and, and he had uh gone on vacation with his girlfriend at the time i think and and uh there was some miscommunication about whether or not he was going to get a wild card into it and, and so uh i think he maybe didn't wait to find out just uh left for the lake that weekend or something like that <laughs> <laughs> so is that the type of judgment where you're like that's the judgment i need out of my coach we didn't start working together for another seven or eight years after that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we, we both we both needed to mature a little bit, I think. Uh, <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, well, we'll get back to Coach Heiser in a second. I do want to fast forward from where we're at right now to, at least for me, one of the most memorable matches you've had on tour to date against Rafa in the 2015 Aussie Open. I know there was a line call. There was a crowd disturbance. Can you take us back? Yeah, so it was a night match, second round on Ron Laver. And and um, what's funny is that I had been playing just horrible tennis that that whole week. Um, I I really s- scraped my way through qualities and, and uh, somehow won my first round. Uh, just not playing very well and so um you know I kind of um <laughs> kind of prepared myself to possibly be embarrassed a little bit I I thought there was every chance that I might go and lose that match uh without winning too many games so um you know I prepared myself <laughs> for it and, and turned out I came out and played uh played pretty darn well but um uh, to your point, we were we were deep in the fifth set. Uh, he had just broken me, and gosh, was it uh, was it the first point of the six five game? Yeah. So um, you know, he threw up his toss, and and you know, somebody behind me uh, yelled out, and he just he missed his serve by a couple of feet, um, and so gave him a another first serve. I don't know. Seemed like the right thing to do. And, um, <laughs> 
Sounds like the, the Midwest Manor is coming to play there. Right? Maybe that was it. Yeah, that might have been that. But anyways, yeah, it's got kind of got a lot of attention, and um, you know, it was nice to have something uh, get attention for you know like the, a positive thing like that. So um, it was a, it was a lot of fun that match, and, and I'm definitely gonna um, definitely gonna remember it for a very long time. Um, I, something uh, kind of embarrassing, but uh, might share it with you guys i uh, actually came up went up to rafa in um, miami a couple of months later and i had a uh, photograph of uh, when we shook hands and i asked him to autograph it and, <laughs> and he turned he turned bright red it was like he was embarrassed that i was asking <laughs> so i was embarrassed and he was embarrassed but um it's uh, that one's hanging oh. in my uh, in my parents living you'll I never like forget it. that for sure that's awesome yeah no, but you know, I do want to stay stick with the slams, but you know, transition back a bit. Uh, I guess the one follow up to that, uh, you know, this is I want to cite my source here because I believe Mike Cation asked you this on his recent coffee cast. Um, and whoever has the birds in the background, shout out to them because it's springtime and it sounds beautiful. It's springtime uh, in Dallas, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like it a lot. Um, you know, in terms of being recognized at an event like that, you know, uh, tennis is not a sport where you're going to know every player. People obviously know Federer and Nadal, but after that type of incident where people come up and saying, hey, you're the guy who gave the call to Nadal. Yeah, you know, I, it, I definitely get asked about it in interviews a fair amount. That's kind of the one that uh, that people remember me for. And so. <laughs> there are there are worse things to be remembered for. It's it's, it's better than um, you know <laughs> getting getting caught like acting out on the on a big stage like that. So um, you know nothing that my parents have to be ashamed of. So it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And you know talking about the Grand Slams, you know one thing, or at least it was a Twitter thing, is you know how late into your career it was that you won your first Grand Slam match. And you know I apologize that question came off ruder than intended. Uh, That's right. You know, getting that first win at the 2012 U.S. Open, how monumental was that for your confidence? It was great. Um, I think at that point I had played a couple of U.S. Opens already. I played played in the French Open, and and so, um, but that was I, I think that was the first Grand Slam that I actually qualified for. So I had a string of matches that uh, uh, under my belt, and on top of that, I I was playing a a guy that I I played a few times before so just kind of all fell into place and I was uh, a bit more comfortable than I had been in in, uh, in my previous Grand Slam matches so it, it was great and um, you know I went on after that tournament and I think I played pretty well into the fall and it was it was actually like a whole nother year before I actually broke into the top 100 for the first time but it you know that that kind of gave me a lot of confidence and, and got me under shouting distance. You know, you talk about the 2012 US Open being the first time you qualified for a slam. If you were to give advice to these young, you know, American juniors about qualifying versus accepting a wild card, you know, which which path would you take? What do you think is more beneficial to your preparation for a grand slam? Um, 
it just kind of depends on the situation. Far be it from me to turn down a, a big paycheck, and and uh, I, don't, I don't think I've ever turned down a wild card into a Grand Slam. So um, I, I probably wouldn't advise anybody to do that. You, you know, at the end of the day, you're you're a professional tennis player, and you know you're trying to feed your family, and those uh, those uh, bigger paychecks don't come along all too often. But um, uh, you know, and, and it, it's a big risk not to. Uh, except a wild card you know it's not it's no small feat to to win three qualifying matches at a a grand slam so um i i know that i've felt um you know more prepared when i have one uh, uh, a couple of matches under my belt but um that's just me you know some guys uh feel their best when they're when they're uh, a little fresher so i think it's to each his own for sure well, and again, I want to fast forward. I apologize. You've got plenty that we could go over, but um, late in the season last fall, you picked up two big challenger wins in Charlottesville and then in Champaign. Wanted to dive into those results uh, because, you know, as tennis fans, we all know the tennis season is a grind and it's tough at that point in the year. Were you feeling fresh going into Charlottesville in Virginia or kind of explain your mentality and your approach before you got started there? <laughs> I don't know if you uh, if you're aware of the kind of year I had leading up to that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I was I was fresh. I, I was not. Uh, I didn't I didn't have too many um, long weeks uh, leading early last year. So uh, nor- normally, or or I, I guess I have gone into those weeks feeling pretty uh, run down before, but that was not the case for me last year, and. and um, I had started working with um, with Dustin Taylor again in uh, in June, and just kind of everything that we had been working on came together. Um, we talk a lot about the mental side of things, and and uh, just kind of everything started to really make sense. So um, I went into those uh, those weeks, you know, very prepared and and feeling good about uh, about my tennis, and they ended up all right. You know, along the way, you play a slew of fellow Americans. You know, you play Bourne, uh, Kozlov, and then tennis in the final. How is that always playing Americans in those type of events and, you know, going up against some of these next-gen guys who are hyped up from the tennis community for better or for worse in America? Well, at these uh, U.S. challengers, you're you're always going to play a lot of Americans. Um, There's just kind of no way around it. But uh, as far as these younger guys that are coming out, there are some really good players. Kozlov's great. Um, uh, Francis is is a heck of a player. And then you got guys like Fritz and and uh, Michael Moe and um, Tommy Paul and all these guys that are that are um, you know already very good, uh, very good players. But they're you know, have, have potential to be great players. So, um, you know, I'm a big fan of a lot of those guys and, and they're good kids too. And, and, um, you know, it seems like they're, um, you know, most of them are doing things the right way in terms of working hard and, and not trying to not skipping any steps and, and, uh, being pretty professional. So, um, you know, I, I think I played several times last year, uh, guys that were, 10 years younger than me or more <laughs> so, uh, that's uh you know that's tough 
another event you've had success at your hometown now dallas challenger another indoor hard court event is that just your favorite surface you know indoor hard you've just grown up playing on it it's it's really not i i prefer <laughs> uh, i prefer um you know a little slower hard court and um you know, thankfully, the, those uh, those couple of weeks last year, I served very well, which is which is important indoors on on the faster surfaces. But um, you know, historically, I felt like I played my best tennis uh, outside on you know bouncier courts that are a little slower. But um, I'm I'm sure growing up in the Midwest and and having as many hours indoors uh, under my belt um, helps. Uh, but I I also you know, I've said this to other people. Um, I think in Charlottesville and Champaign, I was just playing such good tennis. It it, it kind of didn't didn't matter. Um, you know what what surface it was on, except for maybe clay. I don't know. I don't know if I would have won those tournaments <laughs> on clay. But um, but uh, yeah, you know, I was just just really seeing the ball big. So um, it just I, I think it really didn't matter. Well, it's interesting you say that because, you know, again, shameless plug for the Cation cast. Sorry, Dalton. Uh, but you said after Charlottesville, you felt that was the first challenger you had really played well at and won. And so I'm just curious, you know, you've won, I think it's six or seven challengers in your career. Uh, obviously, you're playing a lot of good players. Uh, what is that week like, you know, when you keep progressing through the draw? How do you mentally prepare, especially if, you know, you don't think you're playing your best tennis? Well, I, I think um, over the course of of uh, my career, I've I've had to win a lot of matches without my A game. And I think that was kind of the biggest the biggest factor when I when I broke through into the top hundred and and stayed close to there for several years is is just um, you know being able to find a way to win uh, with my A game. And so you know, it's it's just all all mental and and you know, it's a cliche, but grinding it out and finding a way to win. And it seems like uh, I, I've won, um, you know, more matches doing that than when I've uh, played my best tennis. Uh, so that's that's another, you know, it was another interesting thing where, um, you know, sometimes uh, over the last few years, if I if I was playing really well uh, going into a tournament, I would almost get uh, a little bit scared and say, ah, oh, you know, I don't I don't usually win when I play my best tennis and, and those uh, couple of weeks last year, you know, just figured some things out and, and kind of figured out why I was playing well. That was less scary for me going into uh, a tournament feeling like I was playing my best tennis and, you know, it was just not, not afraid of, of uh, not uh, of winning with my A game. No, definitely. And, you know, I do want to ask you one more question before we get into, you know, some fun ones to end the podcast. But, you know, for you, you have a you know career high inside the top 70, which I believe qualifies you for the ATP pension. You know, they do the pension a little bit, uh, a little bit differently. It's um, it's based on it's based on the ATP main draws that you that you play. So it actually, believe it or not, it actually has nothing to do with rankings. So um, you've gotta, <laughs> that makes uh, sense. Yeah, it, it kind of doesn't really make sense. But um, <laughs> you've got to you've got to play a certain number of of main draws uh, in a year, and then you you know uh, then you qualify for one year, and then you've got to 
qualify for five years in order to vest, I think they call it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I'm trying to get my fifth year. But uh, if, you, if you finish your career with four years, you actually miss out and don't get any sort of pension. So uh, are you riding that threshold right now? Yeah, yeah. I, I need to uh, I need to qualify for it either this year or next year. Otherwise, um, uh, if you have a three year gap in between your in, in between um, you know, qualifying years, you got to start back at zero. And uh, there's, there's a ton of rules with it. But um, <laughs> I'll switch gears for taking off the pressure a little bit. I know you and Ryan Williams have played some doubles, you know, through the years. And he's a, he's a big fishing guy, right? Um, he is, yeah. Do you, do you have any fishing stories with Ryan Williams for our listeners? I, I've gone with him. Uh, he he always used to ask me to, uh, to get out there and fish with him. And, and we were playing a tournament in Savannah. Uh, a couple of years ago and he was just badgering me to come out and, and fish with him and finally i said yes it ended up being like one of the worst experiences ever it started raining we were getting eaten alive by mosquitoes and didn't catch a darn thing and and it was just you know i was i was saying ryan this is why i don't go fishing with you and uh, <laughs> and he was uh no no it's usually a lot more fun than this but yeah, that was my that was my one. And you were like, no, no, experience. it's usually not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's what so a cool. letdown. Well, I have to yeah, say, you know, another another guy I know is, or another American player that's important in your life, John Isner. I believe you and him shared a house at Saddlebrook a few years ago. Yeah, it was. Uh, we actually, uh, well, more accurate way to say that was. <laughs> Uh, he he let me live in his house for a couple of years. So. <laughs> now that he's got his master's title, he can give you the house. Um, yeah, but only good. He a pretty good week. <laughs> no kidding. But okay, you, him, Billy Heiser, and we'll throw out Ryan Williams since he's already been entered in this discussion. Uh, hop onto the Saddlebrook Golf Course. Who comes out on top? Eighteen holes. John doesn't play all that much. Um, Plus, he's huge. <laughs> yeah, he, well, I mean, he can he can hit the ball real well, but he just he doesn't play enough to be, um, you know, to to be real consistent. Um, Billy's not really all that good, and uh, <laughs> Ryan Ryan is good, but I, I you know I, I usually beat him, so I think I'm taking me in that one. Sure. Who are the top three golfing Americans? Because I imagine you guys get some you know time in. Uh, Marty Fish was probably the best one out of out of anybody. Um, he's he's retired now though obviously. Did he rock um, the ankle socks while golfing as well? Always. Yeah, always. <laughs> <laughs> um Steve Johnson I know is pretty good. And yourself. Uh, Don't be shy. Yeah, well, I, 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 I didn't want to I didn't want to put my name in there cuz I'm I'm really not that good. I'm about a 5. Um and that surely there's really good. <laughs> surely there's surely there's uh guys that are better than me but um I, I'm just blanking right now. I want to ask one more serious question, and, you know, I kind of started it last time, so I'll continue. Uh, you know, on that Cation cast, you guys talked about how coming into 2018, you know, this will be your, I believe, 12th season on tour. You know, you played your first events back in 2003. Uh, how, you know, how long, pension aside, you know, how long do you see yourself continuing to play? And is there anything that has to happen in 2018 to really propel you into, you know, definitely playing in 2019 and you know the next few years moving forward 
I don't know how many people know this, but uh, you know, my wife and I are expecting in August. So, um, oh, I, good. I, would, uh, I love it. Yeah, thanks. Um, so, you know, I, I would need to have um, you know a pretty solid year this year in order to uh, keep traveling and and uh, leaving my wife and kid behind. <laughs> um, I like but, it. Um, you know, I, I think uh, um, just putting this, putting together some results and and the pension thing is a, a big deal to me. So I, I'd like to have a, a retirement plan in place. And so, uh, you know, between this year and next, I, I think I can accomplish that. And, you know, I, I think um, I, I really do believe that my best tennis is ahead of me uh, next, uh, you know, couple of years. So uh, I'm healthy and, and uh, you know, knock on wood, I haven't had any, um, major injuries um uh, for a while so uh you know i'm enjoying it and and uh you might as well keep going for uh, for the foreseeable future for sure for sure and and you know with the trajectory of guys on tour you know the age that people are retiring is is further and further off and in other sports as well i mean you see tom brady's 40 plus years old drew Brees, all those guys and then of course yeah you know, well, the top those- of those sort of guys are are probably not going to need to work. Uh, once they're, <laughs> they're not going to need to have a second career. I, I I probably will. So you know you, you're right. The the life of a the the shelf life of the tennis player is uh, a bit longer than it was when I uh, first started on tour. So um, you know that's that's a good thing. You bring up your second <laughs> career. <laughs> um, Here it goes. I, I, I've heard that you you've mentioned this previously that you want to practice law potentially after you hang up the sticks. Is that still yeah, in the back? No, of your that, mind? Is that 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 ship has sailed. Um, <laughs> that, was, that, that was uh, that was probably a pretty old interview. But also, my my brother's a lawyer, and he's since talked me out of it. Plus, you know, <laughs> there I, I'd I'd have to go through. Uh, six or seven years of, of schooling. That's just probably not in the cars for me right now, especially with a with a kid on the way. So, um, you know, I'm kicking around plenty of other options, and um, pro- probably not going to be a lawyer though. <laughs> uh, from a guy who's graduating law school in a couple weeks, here, I do not blame you one bit. <laughs> and, and as you can tell, Tim, uh, I'm looking for a new podcast partner with Dalton's bungled transitions. So uh, anytime you want to come on, we're here for you. <laughs> One last question here before we get going. Um, you know, this has been brought up time and time again, but we hear that you're a classical violinist or you've been trained under, you know, in the classical violin. Give us some insight there. <laughs> You've been trained in the classical violin. That is really good. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I played the violin for eleven years, but that was uh, I, I hung it up when I was about fourteen. So um, I, I tried to pick it up again a few years ago when I was home, and you know, going through my old closet, um, and uh, it it's not it's not like riding a bicycle. I don't I don't. Don't let anyone tell you differently. Um, I, I I couldn't remember a thing. So uh, unfortunately, uh, my violin days are uh, are behind me. <laughs> You're not gonna you Sam Query Steve Johnson form a band. I could see a classically trained with band. a cl- 
<laughs> That'd be interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, that deserves its own podcast. Yeah, if, they, if sure. they need a violinist, they'll they'll have to somebody <laughs> else. I think. You know, I, I I may have mentioned this to Dalton before, but I have a deep history with the Brewers. Uh, one of my dad's law school roommates works for the Brewers, and so. <laughs> Yeah, we would go visit him and I, you know, fun fact, I got, you know how they have the hot dog, the sausage, you know, all of those mascots <laughs> race. I, I, was, I was the little American hot dog. So no you know, way. it was the awesome. last time I was the little wiener, but I was the little wiener yeah. running around. So it was you know, a lot of fun. Funny story about that. Um, I believe this guy's title, Todd Ellenbeck, uh, Todd Ellenbecker is the, uh, I want to say he's like the medical director of the ATP tour or something like that. Um, and he's uh, a Brewers fan. And last year, I think he was the chorizo in the in, really in the <laughs> sausage race, but uh, during spring training at at Maryville. So, um, oh, yeah, I'll, go Brewers! I like it. Yeah, I love it. So then I got a, two questions. One, oh. <laughs> no, no, they're, no, no. they're coming out of thin air here. That's yeah, right. so we're go working. Out. But so part one. You know, better run, uh, or better individual stretch of performance by an athlete. Your stretch at the end of the fall there, where you win Champagne and Charlottesville, or CC Sebastia, two thousand eight, rented gun for the Brewers, takes them to the playoffs. Um, that's not a serious question, is it? I mean, come on, come on. No, no, you're I, way better. It's not yeah. even close. Not even close. <laughs> Two out of three challengers, or or CC. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not even going to dignify that with a with a response. <laughs> I like it. Well, then part two is Brewers 2018. You know, do the Cubs need to worry? Oh, they absolutely need to worry. I have a I have a bet every year with Craig Boynton, uh, who's um, uh, Sam Query and Steve Johnson's coach. Um, we uh, we go based off of the uh, the Vegas uh, win total numbers, um, but uh, who's going to have a better record between the Brewers and the Cubs? And he is growing a very healthy mustache right now since the, the <laughs> Brewers exceeded their win total last year. Um, so uh, the Brewers are going to be good this year. Oh, I like I like that proclamation. I'm yeah. very much in, and you know Miller Field or Miller Field, right? Miller Life Miller Field? Park. Miller, yeah, Park, Miller Park. Park. It's baseball. It's a park. Well, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, just to be conscious of your time, um, I'm sure we could talk baseball all day, but we'll move over to the rapid fire segment, uh, which is okay. a fan favorite here at Cracked Rackets. Uh, we'll ask eight to ten questions, and you'll provide one word answers going forward. Yeah. All right. These things always make me a little nervous, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Best American ping pong player on tour right now. Gail Monfils is really good. Uh, Rajiv Ram is is darn good. Shout out to Indianapolis. I love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Favorite meal off court? Uh, Steak. If you were to take away any stroke, which would it be? My backhand slice. Favorite song or artist right now? Alabama shakes. I'm also sorry, Dalton, but I was on mute, and I have to say we should just get rid of the backhand slice. Period. There's no place for it. There's no reason for it. Yeah, yeah. I throw it out. Never again. <laughs> Never again. Um, a book you've read recently? Good book you've read recently? Um, I am just starting one called The Match. Uh, it's, a, it's a golf book. Um, uh, also just finished uh, Steve Martin's biography. 
Awesome. Awesome. Which house in Harry Potter would you be if you're a Harry Potter guy? I know that I know that uh, Harry Potter was was it a Gryffindor? <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> That'll do the trick. That was, I know okay. you mentioned this earlier in the pod. Favorite surface? Uh, yeah, like a like a gritty hard court. Favorite city in the world? Um, outside of uh, of Dallas and Milwaukee, I would say. Uh, oh gosh. Uh, I'd get in trouble if I didn't say New York, but um, after after the American cities, I'd say uh, Melbourne. Favorite athlete, non-tennis related? Uh, I uh, I really like following uh, Jordan Spieth. As you can tell, I'm a big golf fan, and I think he <laughs> uh, he really does things the right way. Well, and he's a Dallas guy, so that, that yeah, that too. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Uh, favorite thing about a fresh can of tennis balls is. Oh, the smell, for sure. <laughs> Tim, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you got coming it. on the next. Yeah, that was fun. Thanks, guys. Yeah, really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Take care. Have a good one. All right, see you. Take care. Thanks for listening to Gruskin and I's conversation with Tim Smichek. Tim has had a great career thus far, and as he said, and we believe this, his best tennis is ahead of him. So congrats again to he and his wife Anna on their pregnancy. Very, very cool. Also wanted to give a uh, major shout-out to our producer, as always, he makes these smooth for all of you. Thanks, Westoff. Um, and on the horizon, we have some great interviews on the way. Uh, coming for you, Dennis Kudla, Torp from Ohio State, and more. So stay tuned there. Um, take five seconds to go subscribe to the Cracked Interviews podcast as well as the Great Shot podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and go like the Facebook page. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Only five stars, as always. Thank you. Uh, We're also now on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, the TuneIn app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So check us out there. And I know most of you are doing this already, but go tell your friend or family about Cracked Rackets and the podcast, especially those tennis fanatics in your circle, in your league, or at your school. Um, But you know the deal there. But for one, Alex Gruskin, Daniel Westoff, I'm Dalton Thieneman, and we will see you next time, crack fans. Pray so pleasure.